0: Hello and welcome to Gendering Geopolitics, my short series where I have quick 10 minute conversations with women who are doing amazing work around the world. My name is Emily Prey and I'm a senior analyst at the New Lines Institute in Washington, DC. Today, I have the honor of speaking with Inna Sovtsun, a member of the Ukrainian parliament on Gendering Geopolitics. Inna is currently in Kyiv and thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me, Emily. So we have a lot of ground to cover, so I'll just jump right in. It's been over a month of war. You haven't left Ukraine. What are the feelings on the ground right now and why did you choose to stay?
1: Well, uh, it's a tough question. I never seriously considered leaving, frankly speaking. It never felt the right choice, uh, be it that I'm Ukrainian, but also for a simple reason that I'm a member of parliament. I have to be where my people are. So I, I have to stay here. But also on a very personal level, like the very idea of leaving everything behind, the life that I was building here, uh, my my house, uh, everything, like my library and, and, and everything. It was just unbearable. And the very idea of becoming a refugee, well, something that I didn't even consider seriously. So many
0: Ukrainian women, like yourself, have chosen to stay and be a part of the war effort in whatever way they can, whether as soldiers, politicians, journalists, medics. How important have women been to the war effort to defeat Russia, and what unique dangers do they face because of their gender?
1: Well. Uh- I believe that everyone is is equally important. And uh, right now we are seeing that it is actually the very fact that every single person staying here in Ukraine is involved in the resistance against Putin is the reason why we actually win in, in this war on the ground. And, and that is why, because many people are doing different things. As you were rightly saying, many women have joined the army We have about 30,000 women in the army. Well, not all of them are in the combat zone, but still it's a very big percentage. Up to 80% of the Ukrainian army are women. And that is, again, something we are proud of. Uh, Many women are doing uh, work in terms of providing uh, medical help. Again, uh, very useful in this, uh, uh, you know, in this situation. Of course, many women have also uh, left uh, with their children uh, because, as you probably know, half of the Ukrainian children have been relocated um, to other countries. Uh, and and I don't blame those women either. I think that they are doing important thing as well, protecting the children, making sure that they don't fall victim into Russian aggression, that they don't become hostages like like many families in Irpin or in in, in Mariupol became. That is also as important as anything else. And I know that many women who have left, they were actually feeling that they you know, left their people behind and they feel guilty. I always say that they shouldn't be feeling guilty. Everyone is doing everything they can and saving the children is as, as noble uh, uh, you know, a uh, deal as, as anything else. But you are right that women who are staying here are facing specific dangers that men are not. Uh, First of all, and the biggest issue is, of course, rape. And that is something that we unfortunately know of happening in the territories that the Russians have occupied. Uh, Officially, we have one case of confirmed uh, rape, and that was in north of Kiev in a small village where a Russian soldier came and uh, killed the husband of a woman, uh, stayed to live in the house with that woman, and was raping her constantly. And that is the situation that we know of for sure, and there is an open investigation about this right now. But unfortunately, we also know that there are many more like that um, who are still living un- you know, with people who are raping them constantly, but they're just afraid of reporting that or they are na- unable to report that because you also have to realize that many of those uh, regions do not have any connection. So unfortunately, we know that this is the situation that is taking place. And of course, that is... Um, yeah, that is another level of evil that we're dealing with. And then, of course, you have to realize that in many areas uh, where Russians are uh, conducting, well, basically acts of, of war crimes or genocides, like in Mariupol or in Chernihiv, which is north of Kiev, uh, women's job is mainly to stay with the children. And the Russians are specifically targeting the places where they know the children are, like that theater in Mariupol, which they bombarded, and 300 people died in that bombardment, majority of them children. But if not children, those are women who are here because the Russians are specifically targeting those most vulnerable here.
0: As you mentioned, there's been a huge displacement of children from Ukraine, the largest displacement of children since World War II with more than half of Ukrainian children being forced to flee the country. What kind of future do you see for
1: these children? Well, first of all, I have to say that my son is one of those children. He has been relocated. Uh, he's living with a family, so that is a fortunate situation. He's living in Ukraine, so he is not a refugee in another country. He's being taken care of by, again, family members. So so I feel much better about him than about many other children. There was this case of a, a small child of 10 years old, if I remember that correctly. Uh, his mom in Zaporizhia, I think, southern Ukraine, she put him onto the train, she wrote down a phone number on his hand over here and gave him a phone. And she told him, you turn on the phone once you uh, end up in, in your destination, once the train arrives to your destination and you call the people there and they will take care of you. And she had to do that because she couldn't leave the city because she had a mother mm-hmm. who was very sick and, and she was immobile and she couldn't move her mother. So this making this decision of of putting your son, a small child, after all, onto the train alone is something that me as a mother, I just, I can't try to think about that. That that must be so terrifying. Uh, and we're so happy that that's, that particular kid is is alive and well. But but that is just uh, for you to understand that the level of, of threat that children are under here. And I do hope very, very, very much, trust me so much, that all those children will be able to come back here to Ukraine. But I understand that not all of them will. Some of them are heavily traumatized uh, psychologically, and they are just scared. I know many cases where children uh, stop talking after they have seen heaviest bombardment in their cities. Now, some children are talking uh, weirdly. They are stuttering or something like that because of the psychological trauma that they have, um, they have uh, faced. Some children are, are physically wounded, and they need very strong uh, you know, medical support. Uh, but then also some children are with families who uh, who have lost everything. Like their houses have been burned there. You know, all all they, they had was was destroyed by Russians. All the Russians have captured the, the city that they are from. And they basically have nowhere to go back to. And I'm very scared that those particular families will not be able to return unless we get, you know, the possibility to help them. And that is, that is what I'm scared of. Uh, because with all those relocation of children, if we do not return them back home, we shall have basically a lost a lost generation here in Ukraine. And that is also very scary, not for, for the current day, but for the future of the country overall.
0: I just want to thank you for highlighting the civilian cost of this war. There are children, there are families, women and men who are being affected in ways that we cannot even imagine, especially myself as an American living in the U.S. right now. I cannot even imagine what Ukrainians are going through right now. So we'll-
1: can I comment shortly on that? Yeah, because I hear that a lot from people saying I, as, as an American, I, as an as you know, Englishman, I'm as a Frenchman, cannot understand what you're going through. Me as a Ukrainian, two months ago, would not imagine that happening. And that is important to understand. This is the change that has taken place so rapidly in our lives. And of course, we did have the war for eight years. But for the absolute majority of Ukrainians, it was very distant. It wasn't something that was affecting the everyday lives of, of Ukrainians. So it's not something that you are growing into. It's just something that happens to you uh, uh, involuntarily, not because you did something, but Trust me, for us, it is as much a shock as, as it is for anyone else. Just we have to deal with that and to live through that.
0: Absolutely, 100%. And so looking at what countries like the U.S. and EU and NATO countries can do, what what kind of message do you have for President Biden and for other NATO leaders and EU leaders?
1: Give us more weapon. And I'll be blunt, as, as blunt as that. But uh, there is no other humanitarian aid that can be provided that can solve more problems than provision of weapons to the Ukrainian army. We are not asking for, for the US or any other NATO states or troops on the ground. But we have proved that Ukrainian army is strong enough to fight on our own. We just need the weapons. We have been extremely successful in destroying Russian tanks. I think we have destroyed about half of the tanks that have come to our territory. And that is for two reasons. And those reasons are, I'm sorry. And those, uh, sorry. Um, we, uh, So I'll do it again. Uh, we have been extremely successful in, in destroying Russian tanks uh, for one reason. Because, well, of course, because Ukraine army is very much committed to dealing with that and to, to, to you know, fighting for our land, but also because we, we received lots of anti-tank uh, weapon from our Western partners. And that is why we are asking for for other weapons that we can use to destroy Russian artillery, that we can use to destroy Russian aircraft. So so those are, those are the most crucial weapons that the military are asking for right now. Because we do not have the weapons right now to destroy Russian artillery that is killing civilians in Mariupol. We just don't have that longer range weapon that we could use for that. I'm sure if we had that we can actually win on the ground. And, and I'm absolutely sure about that. And that is why we're asking for more weapons, not troops on the ground, but just help us win in this uh, in this war that, that Putin started here.
0: So recently the United Russia chief, Andrei Turchok said that Moscow will rebuild Mariupol and never give it back to Ukraine. And I quote, so that nobody has any doubts, Russia is here forever. What is your reaction to this?
1: Well, screw him. I don't know. Like, like they are all... Uh, like, seriously, I just, just hate all of them. And I seriously want all of them dead. I'm sorry for being, you know, politically incorrect or whatever. But they have killed people there. People there are, like, in the thousands. They have abducted people in Mariupol. They are, they're, they're taking people, taking them to Russia, to the filtration camps. In the very best of the Soviet traditions of sending people to Siberia, to gulags and everything. And they're calling this liberation. That is just Nazism. They are the Nazi state that need to be destroyed, not tolerated, not made, deal with. And that is why, well, I I don't care what he thinks. We have to fight back for our land and we have to fight back for our people. And we also have to fight back for for the very principles of the international relations, like this principle of sovereignty of, of a single country. Like no single country can just start bombing another state and say that now we want this part of your land, because that would destroy, destroy not just Ukraine, but actually the whole world of, of uh, you know international relations as we know it from the uh, end of the World War Two. So we have to fight back. And we don't care about what they say about Mariupol. This is a Ukrainian city that is fighting so heavily against the Russians and the heaviest fire under and heavy bombardment and, and we are still managing to keep control over the city in, in you know in a situation where nobody would predict we would be able to hold this control we're doing our best and it is a Ukrainian city and we are getting messages from people there saying that please do not surrender how can we surrender after that after getting messages from people there saying that we want Mariupol to stay Ukrainian city
0: So last week you had an emergency session of the Parliament. Why is that so important? And why is it important to continue to do normal things like this, like running the country, even in the midst of Russian attacks?
1: Well, uh, there are two reasons for that. Reason number one is that there is some legislative work that needs to be done. We do need to change lots of legislation given the military situation here, Uh, I don't know, relocating money to the army, Uh, lowering taxes so that uh, at least some businesses uh, can survive and continue working here in Ukraine and supporting their economic activity, and many other things. But then also on a higher political level, we need to show to the people here in Ukraine that we are not leaving them, that we are here just like they are, and that we continue to fight. It's important for the people in the country, but also it's important for the world to see that we keep on fighting. We are not surrendering, we're not giving up, we are not leaving, we're still here, and and we continue our fight against this aggression. And I believe that that is crucially important to show to the world that we keep on fighting and we shall not give up.
0: And in our last minute, just very briefly, how does it feel to be Ukrainian and to be a Ukrainian woman right now?
1: Uh, I can explain that in one word, but I would just give you several um, descriptions. Well, first of all, I I will be honest with you. We're all scared. Uh, Waking up every morning, uh, learning about yet another bomb striking yet another city is scary. Learning about all those deaths is scary. Going to bed thinking that that bomb might drop onto your house is very scary. And that is the reality that we're dealing with. Uh, of course we are all very much concerned about those loved ones who are in the army like every single minute i'm thinking about my boyfriend who is in the army and i'm worried sick about him can't even explain to what level I'm, I'm, i'm worried about him i'm worried about the future of my son and and i want to make sure that he has a country to to live in and to rebuild in the future but then also i feel extremely proud for the people in my country as i've never felt And we also feel very much united all together right now, as we never felt before. And I think right now there is this mixture of fear and also pride for being Ukrainian, um, for being able to speak for, you know, uh, to speak loudly about the values that we support, that we promote uh, is extremely, you know, powerful and empowering. Uh, And I think that is the mixture, most of all that I'm feeling.
0: Anna, I want to thank you so much for your time. Thank you for coming on Gendering Geopolitics. And most of all, thank you for all the incredible work that you are doing in Ukraine. And I please continue to stay safe and continue to do the work that you're doing.
1: Thank you so much, Emily. Thank you for having me.
0: Thank you.